the future of dating is wild because we can have an artificial intelligence that can detect who in the whole planet is more compatible with you. Never gonna happen. Never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. I'm here with Helen Fisher, the most expert person I could find online about love. Yes. So I'm here to say that I don't believe in love. Oh, really? No yes. kidding. Have you ever been in love? Um, I'm not sure. Oh, that's interesting. Well, first of all, we have to should define love a little bit. I mean, I think we've evolved. I'm an anthropologist, and I think we've I've been able to prove actually that we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction: sex drive being one, feelings of intense romantic love being the second, and feelings of deep attachment being the third. And I'm assuming when you say you don't believe in love, so you don't wait, believe in wait, romantic wait, wait, love. Wait, you said drive of sex. Uh, yeah drive of attachment Ro to another person yeah and the romantic love and romantic love yeah and they're they're driven by three different brain systems well i i'm i'm drive i have drive for sex i have drive for attachment to people but yeah. the second one about love Ro romantic love you haven't figured out yet i'm you not will. sure about that <laughs> how old are you i'm 22 okay well i've certainly met people who didn't figure it out until their mid-50s Okay. And in fact, I had a girlfriend, she said, you know, and she was happily married, uh, had two lovely children, That's deeply funny. attached to her husband, and fell in love with another man. And she finally, she said to me, she said, you know, Helen, I finally understand Romeo and Juliet. I finally get it. <laughs> but it has a very, uh, very distinctive um, characteristics. I mean... I and my colleagues, we're the first in the world to put people in brain scanners and show the brain circuitry of it. So you can believe it or not believe it, but we've shown the brain circuitry of it. So what does that mean we showed? Like you basically proved that there is, there is a specific feeling? What we did is, well, first of all, the first thing that I did is I read poetry and novels and, you know, I mean, everywhere in the world there's evidence of romantic love. I mean, myths, legends, yes. poems, movies, stories, <laughs> movies, symphonies, ballets, operas, everywhere. you know, <laughs> uh, books, uh, therapists, holidays, for God's sake. Do you have holiday, a holiday for love in Cyprus? No, but Valentine's Day is but a big You have thing. Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the bottom line is everywhere in the world people... Um, do express this feeling and uh, I read world poetry and I wanted to figure out the basic brain, you know, the basic traits of romantic love, which I did. And I created a questionnaire to see whether you express those traits. And then my colleagues and I put uh, actually over a hundred people now into the brain scanner using fMRI brain scanning uh, to find the brain pathways that become activated when you're madly in love. And what's interesting is, you know, the very first academic article I wrote on this, one of the four peer reviewers wrote back said, you can't study this. Romantic love is part of the supernatural. And I thought to myself, hang on here. You know, fear is not part of the supernatural. Anger is not part of the supernatural. Joy is not part of the supernatural. Disgust isn't part of the supernatural. Why would this basic feeling? I mean, people kill for love. They pine for love. They live for love. They die for love. It's a basic brain system. So that's what got me started into thinking there's got to be something. Years ago? Did I put the people in the brain scanner? No, did you start being interested oh, did in I love? Um, in graduate school. Yeah, oh, in my so PhD. All your life. Basically. Yeah, all my life. And in fact, you know, people um, assume, I think, that, you know, no, I've written six books on it that's, that 
are all over the world. And we've you already a, wrote six. Six books. Oh, yes, absolutely. I've been writing them since 1982. Um, but uh, the bottom line is, uh, and they are in 25 languages, you know. So, in fact, I'm on my way to Doha to talk about uh, pair bonding and monog uh, monog monogamy. <laughs> um um, in a couple of weeks, uh, and the people in Doha, uh, in Qatar, will understand it just the way the people in Cyprus will, and the people in New York City will. But the bottom line is, you know, people ask me why I started studying love, and they'll assume that, well, you know, she's just uh, had a bad love affair. Well, nobody gets out of love alive. We, we all have our problems, and you will too <laughs> at some point. But the bottom line is, um, when I was in graduate school, getting my PhD, uh, you have to write a dissertation. And uh, at that time, it was a long time ago, uh, everybody believed that the mind was an empty slate. And, you know, the environment inscribed, sculpted the brain. Mm -hmm. And I'm an identical twin. Oh, shit. And I have known since I was five years old that there's biology to behavior because as an identical twin, everybody asks you, do you have the same cavities in your teeth? Do you have the same friends? Do you like the same food? And you're very busy thinking, what's nature and what's nurture? So anyway, when it came time to write that PhD dissertation, wow. it suddenly occurred to me that if there's any part at all of human behavior that would have evolved, it would have been our reproductive patterns. Because if you have four children and I have no children, you live on and I die out. So the game of love matters. And so there would have been selection for certain behavior patterns and certain kinds of feelings to drive us to start a, a romantic relationship and send our DNA into tomorrow. So that's what got me started. So you're basically saying that that feeling of love is happened through evolution for us to be able to reproduce better. Yes, basically. Sex drive gets you out there looking for a whole range of partners. You can have sex with all kinds of people you're not in love with. Um, romantic love evolved to enable you to focus your mating energy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, romantic love evolved to enable you to focus your mating energy on just one individual. Mm -hmm. And that third brain system of attachment evolved to enable you to tolerate this person, <laughs> stick with this person, uh, at least long enough to raise a single child through infancy. So there are three different brain systems. Um, they're run by different chemical systems. Sex drive is run largely by testosterone in both men and women. Um, uh, romantic love, we've proven, is 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 uh, run by the dopamine system. That's what gives you the elation, the giddiness, the euphoria, the focus, the motivation, the craving uh, for a certain person. And then um, the third brain system of attachment um, evolved uh, uh, is associated with a different chemical system, the oxytocin, and probably the vasopressin systems too. So they're different brain systems. They do different things. And... Everywhere in the world, people love, and you will too, kid. <laughs> you definitely will too. And you're going to, would you write me a letter after you fall in love with somebody and tell me about it? Well, uh, one time I said to my girl, she, my girlfriend asked me, are you in love with me? I was, uh, I'm not sure. So that yeah. was a big problem in our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big problem because she was, well, so what happened? Eventually you, you broke up with her? Or... <laughs> so, uh, yes. But we broke up because I, wa I wanted to come to the United States. But on the other relationship that, that I had, I think 
uh, that feeling. I don't know how you describe that feeling that you only think about the other person. It's like, romantic love. All this. I, I think it happened like for for a month, but oh, but wow. then I don't know. I think it. I, I this is how I think about romantic love. It's like one thing that happens uh, for like some time, and then you are very excited that with every problem that the other person has and like you find it cute and all this stuff. That's <laughs> very well said. And yeah. then, You overlook everything. And I know what happens in the brain when you're overlooking things. There's a basic brain region linked with what, what is called negativity bias. You know, we remember the negative. And when you're madly in love with somebody, activity in that brain region goes down. You can okay. overlook all kinds of things. Oh, he's cute. He's got three heads. They're all cute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so yes, exactly this. So I'm 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 not sure about uh, these. So I I feel like is is not very productive that feeling, and it's not very. It's cool. It's like it's good to feel strong emotions and stuff. But I don't know. It's like uh, it's. It was good for a month, then it faded off, and like then normal life came, problems, and then I saw the other person exactly how it was, mm-hmm. and I was like a bit more objective about my decisions. So I was like, well, good. Don't forget, you're very young. It's not the right time for you to go, you know, falling madly in love and settling down. In fact, um, I'm very optimistic about. I'm crazy about your generation, because I think you've got a great. You've got your heads tacked on. Particularly this pandemic. I mean, what do you I, mean? Heads tacked, tacked on. Uh, um, uh, you're smart. Uh, you're doing what I call smart dating. Um, I wrote an academic article called "Slow Love: um, Courtship in the Digital Age," and as it turns out, in my day, people married around age 21. Now they're marrying. Women are now marrying in in almost all cultures in in urban societies, not on the farm, but. Um, uh, they're marrying much later. Uh, in your generation, you probably won't marry until you're uh, another 10 years from now. And um, you think that's a good thing or a bad the thing? The reason I say that it's a good thing is because I've looked at the demographic yearbooks of the United Nations. Now, there's data from 1947 to 2000 and whatever. And I collected data from 1947 to 2011. And as it turns out, the longer you court and the later you marry, the more likely you are to remain together. Okay. And what that's exactly what your generation is doing it. I call it slow love. This long period of pre-commitment in which you're you're trying people out. I mean, you're not square. You're trying people out. You're you're falling some for somebody for a month. You're getting rid of what you don't want. You're back on the scene again. And uh and you're learning more about yourself and what you want and what you don't want and um, you know, by the time you walk down the aisle, you, um, it'll, you'll be probably in your it'll early 30s. I don't know. We'll find out. But the bottom line is. So you, they told me, uh, one friend of mine, that you are married now and you are deeply in love late in life. Madly in love with him. Madly. <laughs> so I married him at age 75 and I'm now 77. Yeah, And I'm still, but I've hung around with him for eight years. And I'm not sure I would have married him at all. I, I always figured I'm never going to leave him. Um, I'll, I'll leave him anything I've got. Uh, I'm going to be faithful to him. But I didn't really think I needed to marry him. But he, one day we were having dinner. We were celebrating something. And he was celebrating something pretty big. Uh, and so he was drinking tequila. And he looked at me and he said, 
I'm going to marry you, Helen Fisher. (laughs) (laughs) And we were lying in bed that night, and I whispered to her, I said, you know, sweetheart, you said I'm going to marry you, Helen Fisher. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I must have been drunk. (laughs) (laughs) He was joking. I took him seriously. The following morning, we were still lying there, and I said, sweetheart, I think last night you said you, you know, I'm going to marry you, Helen Fisher. And he said, oh, I was drunk. And I realized, oh, shit, maybe he's, Maybe he's serious. <laughs> and so I was never going to raise that again. And we were walking down the street like four hours later. And he and he began to realize, I guess, that I had taken him seriously. And we stopped at the so corner. So you're quite a bit offended with that. Uh, I wasn't offended. I just was going to respect his... I wasn't looking to marry him. I adored him, but I didn't see the point of a piece of paper. Okay. And... Uh, and uh, and he was, we were standing on the corner of 86th Street and Lexington Avenue, and he turns to me and says, I'm going to marry you, Helen Fisher, and this time I'm not drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he had gone through a very, very bad marriage. A really, I mean, as bad as you can imagine. I mean, a really bad marriage. And um, he had even said to me, we were driving along one day, he, 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 we were just friends, and he said, I'm never, I'm never ever going to, go out with a woman again I'm never going and I I was the only one in the car I figured well he must be telling me something (laughs) (laughs) and then one night um so we hung around for a year and we'd go to the opera we'd do various things with friends who you've met and he'd give me a big hug and I'd go home so after one year of this uh we were going to meet for dinner and take a long walk through New York and go and play pool and I don't know what overcame me but I pulled the cocktail napkin out from underneath my drink and I said, why don't we secretly write down on a sheet of paper what we want to win, what I want to win if I want if I win at pool? So I wrote down a real kiss. I didn't know what he had written down. And um, we played funny. pool <laughs> and he, he killed me at pool. I mean, he'd grown up with a pool table. I'd played pool like five times in my life. And I opened his sheet of paper, his cocktail napkin, and it said, Sex and clarity. And I said, well, I got the sex part, but what do you have in mind for clarity? (laughs) (laughs) And he wanted to be friends with benefits. And it was much too late. He had won and he was going to win. You know, he was going to get, it was fine with me. And I, and I, uh, we were walking uptown. We weren't going to have sex that night because it was way too late. And and I said to him, I said, sweetheart, I mean, I didn't say, I said, you know, I said, um, you know, I study love. And, he knew uh, that probably. Yeah, and I said, <laughs> you know, when you have start having sex with somebody, you can trigger the brain circuitry for romantic love. Any, you know, and I said, are you willing to take that chance? Because if he's not willing to take that chance, he better not sleep with me. And he said yes, and that was the beginning. And oh, that's now fine. I'm very married to him, <laughs> and I'm still crazy about him. And I did a study with Match Match.com. You know, I'm their chief science advisor. I have been the chief science advisor to Match for 17 years. And I uh, do these annual studies called Singles in America. And every year we collect data on 5,000 Americans. We do not poll Match members. It has nothing to do with the Match population. It's a national representative sample of singles based on the U.S. Census. So it's real science. We have now data on 60,000 Americans. And I wanted to do a study of married people. And so they collected data on 1,500 married people. And I asked a lot of questions to married people. 
Uh, and one of them is, you know, how long have you been married? And um, are you still in love? Not loving, but in love with your partner. And 76% said yes. So Of the people that they are married. Married. Long-term married. And in fact, one of our brain scanning studies, we put um, 15 people who were married an average of 21 years into the brain scanner uh, 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 using fMRI. They kept coming into the lab and saying, I'm still in love with my wife. I'm still crazy about my husband. Americans don't believe you can remain in love long term. Most people in the world don't. We've proven that you can. You got to pick the right person. But what we found in the brain is activity in the same tiny little factory that pumps out dopamine and sends that to many brain regions, giving you the focus, the motivation, the craving, the energy, the obsessive thinking uh, uh, of intense romantic love. So you can remain in love long term. Another thing we found, which was quite fascinating, you know, psychologists always trying to say what makes a happy partnership. And there's all kinds of psychological things. I mean, don't be critical. Don't be contemptuous. You know, um, uh, uh, don't stonewall. Uh, don't be defensive. Standard things. Um, but um, what we found in the brain, this is what happens in the brain in a long-term, happy, in romantic partnership. We found activity not only in the brain circuits for romantic love, but in three others linked with happiness. A brain region linked with um, empathy, a brain region linked with controlling your own stress and your own emotions, and a brain region linked with overlooking the negative, just what you were able to do for a month. Um, uh, it's called positive illusions, the ability to overlook what you don't like about somebody. But what are the bad stuff? Because Well, if it's too bad, you got to go. <laughs> you know, I mean, if it's minor... Overlook no, it. No, I I know, but you said all the only the positive things that happen uh, on, yeah. when you are in love. So I guess there is always some bad things as well. Sure, that are happening. Did you detect any bad things that are happening? Um, uh, everybody's going to have different bad things. Now, when I, you know, before I put these people in the brain scanner, we've done three basic experiments. One is of young people like you, and we put um seventeen of them. They just fallen madly in love. The second study, and the most important one for me, is people who have just been dumped, just been rejected in love, because that's when you're dangerous to yourself and to others and, you know, obsessed and out of control, etc. And the third was, um, um, so happily and madly in love, just fall in love, rejected in love. And the third basic brain um, study was of these people who were in long-term um, uh, relationships. And um, what was your question? I forgot. What are the bad things oh, yeah. about, so, uh, about being in love? You said all oh, the yeah. positive things. Um, we asked people, before I put them in the machine, what, what don't you like about him or her? And they were absolutely ridiculous. The only one I can really remember right now is that um, one girl said, uh, oh, yeah, he'd roll over in bed and take all the, um, all the blankets with him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with me, I can't get my husband to turn the lights out. I can't get him to turn the lights out. But you know what? As I go around and I turn the lights out, I think, oh, he's so hilarious. He's so charming. He's so handsome. He's so competent. He's so good at what he does. 
He's so sexy. I can turn the goddamn lights out. <laughs> so we, there is no bad things that oh, you found. A, I think that, that everybody. About, so uh, I'm curious because for me, I think when this, I'm not, it's not the most productive thing in the world to be in the love. Because right. you think all the time about the other person. Right. You spend a lot of time with him. Right. So I don't know, maybe uh, your career or the stuff that you focus on doesn't do as well. Mm-hmm. And because you, uh, and it happened to me as well, uh, because you care about the other person and you, and you want, when, when there are problems, when they have a problem, it's like you cannot say, it's like, oh, I don't care about it now. I'm busy right. with my life. So wh- whatever their problems is, is your problems. Right. So I found this to be very disturbing in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. The, uh, this is one downside of love yeah. that I found. Well, it's a downside for you because you're not madly in love with the person. You know, but the bottom line is if you were, um, you'd be able... I mean, the bottom line is this basic brain system evolved millions of years ago in order for us to focus on one person long enough to to drive our DNA into tomorrow. So you say you got more important things to do. Today you do. The day will come when the most important thing for you will be to just please her, laugh with her, kiss her, hug her, go exploring with her, and have babies with her and send those babies into tomorrow. That day will come. It comes for just about... Now, I never wanted to have children. Uh, you don't? I never did. I never wanted to have children. Wow. But, yeah, I feel as if I've got a responsibility to the world's children, even you, you know. Um, I, But I do have an identical twin sister who had a child who's had children, so I, I got off easy. I sent my DNA into tomorrow without doing all that work. I feel a little bad about that. But, <laughs> but the bottom line is, That's you know, we're I'm- having fewer children these days. Um, but our children are living to adulthood. I mean, you know, I'm an anthropologist. And in hunting and gathering societies, people regularly had uh, four or five children and only one or two lived to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Now we're having one or two children that do live to adulthood. And it's just very interesting. I was just reading an article about it. It's going to have a great deal of impact um, because, of course, if you have only one or two children, you've got more money to get them educated, to, you know, get them traveling, to... Uh, focus on their issues, etc. cetera. Uh, and in some ways, that's very good. And in other ways, you know, um, I mean, they're talking about the rise of the grandmother because if the mother and the father are constantly working, the grandmother needs to uh, step in. People, Other people need to step in and help you raise your children. And there's both uh, pluses and minuses to that. Um, um, to that uh, about uh, children, did you notice anything when people have children? Are they getting more in love? Are they ex- expand the the lifetime of their love? Like, yeah. how does that work with children? Um, middle age. Uh, there's a lot of studies of happiness, and of course, what people define as happiness. Um, but apparently, um. The older you get, the more happy you get. Uh, apparently, the young are really quite happy, and hopefully uh, your generation, uh, Gen Z and uh, millennials, they report that they're qu- rather optimistic and happy. Oh, 74% of your of your generation right now uh, in America, because that's the p- people that I study, um, 
really want to have a, a romantic relationship and, and think they're going to get one too. Um, middle age seems to be the toughest. You've got small children. You know, for millions of years, we lived in these hunting and gathering groups where a child didn't get raised by just two parents or even one parent. There were 25 people in the group. And if the mother was a little frustrated or a little tired or busy doing something else, she handed the baby to her sister yeah, or yeah. to her aunt or her niece or her mother or, or just her a random person in the village that was friends. Exactly. And uh and of course today we don't have that, so there's a great deal more stress on a partnership. Okay, so it Now, can with, be with, a burden as well on the love. Yeah, the but kids. it's a it's a burden, but it's also I mean most people will say they're happy they did it. You know, after particularly after the children have grown up, and <laughs> then they can be more useful. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I don't study that, but from what I read, uh, middle age seems to be the most difficult time for people. They're the most stressed. Then as they get older, they've gotten through that. They've made more money. Uh, they're more settled. Uh, the children have managed to make it through school, etc., and they're on their own. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're built to love, though. We are built to love. Can, can you give me some dating advice? Sure. So absolutely. I'm 22. Uh-huh. How should I approach a woman? Or like, what? how should I think about this? Should I go and find on Tinder? Should I go and search in the library? Uh-huh. What should I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you can either get dressed up every night and take a girl out every night and hope you run into people in the bars or in the library. That's the hard way. Or you can get on a dating site. And that's the easy way. And um, what's nice about these dating sites, they're not dating sites. None of them are dating sites. What they are is introducing sites. That's all they do is introduce you. It's amazing how many people think that somehow because you met somebody in a dating site as opposed to a bar, that somehow that's going to change what you were looking for in a woman. It's stupid. But the bottom line is you got that head on top of you. And what these dating sites do is introduce you to people. But yes. you make, don't, there's two mistakes you n- cannot make. And this is the problem. Um, okay. The, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and all these kids, you know, I guess so burned out. The problem is these dating sites are so new. These introducing sites are so new that um, people don't know how to use them. And so they binge. Binge meaning? Binge, binge means uh, they see one person after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. They, they, oh, they just, th- they, they pour into it. And the bottom line is um, binging is overdoing, overdoing. Okay. And... Uh, And I understand why they do it. You mean overgoing dates with girls or over mass talking to a hundred girls at the same Both. time? Both. Talking okay. to a hundred girls either consecutively or all at the same time. The brain is only built to deal with about five to nine choices. Okay. And after that, it gets overloaded. Scientists call it cognitive overload or the paradox of choice. And so... Um, You know, you. I, I, I get these emails from people and they say, well, I went out with a different girl for 30 different nights. Well, that's your problem. You went out with 30 different girls. You, 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 you're overloaded. You, you, you choose nobody. So if you want to use these dating sites, introducing sites, the first thing you got to do is don't binge. Um, basically, after you've met between five and nine people, and I mean 
meat. The brain is is built to actually look at somebody, either through video chatting um, or through, you know, meeting in real time. After you've met nine people who are anywhere in the ballpark, I mean, if somebody is way too old or way different from you, skip it. After you've met nine people who fit within the ballpark at all, um, get off the introducing site and get to know at least one of those people better. The more you get to know somebody, the more you like them, and the more you begin to think that they are like you. So that's number one. Don't binge. Don't overdo. Second thing, think of reasons to say yes instead of no. The brain is built to say no. And What do you mean by that in real life example? A real example is you go to a party. Everybody's very nice to you. Everything's great. And then one person says, that was a really stupid video you did. So you go home. What do you remember? That's the only thing you remember is the bad news. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, you go to another party and somebody says, you know, one person says, have you gained a little weight? You go home. That's all you remember. So the bottom line is the brain is built to remember the negative for good Darwinian reasons. I mean, for millions of years, it was nice to remember who your friends were. But if you forgot who your enemies were, you could die. So we remember the negative. And so when you get onto one of these introducing sites and you meet somebody, either through video chatting or in, in person, you tend to overweight the few things that you know about them. And so you crack a joke and they don't laugh. Oh, she's not funny. I can't go out with her. Or you discover, oh, he likes cats and I like dogs. Oh, that'll never work. They're overweighting those few things that they, you know, that they've just discovered about somebody. So think of reasons to say yes instead of no. Overlook minor things because a lot of times sense of humor comes out down the road. People are nervous. Um, even their intelligence, you know, they, they're, they're, they're scared. I mean, what you're doing in these introducing sites is looking for life's greatest prize. Life's greatest prize <laughs> is a mating partner. That's a, that's a bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people want money. A lot of people want fame. But the bottom line is we all, when it comes to our personal life, we want to climb into bed with the the coolest cat on earth. And that's what they're looking for. So I'm not surprised that people are are picky. But um, if you're so picky that you're without... Now, I don't. you don't sound like you're ready to settle down, but you might want a romance. And, um, you know, I mean, you're going to find it. I mean, look, you're handsome. You're famous. You're smart. You're charming. It's going to happen lots of times. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but uh, I'm curious to hear because all the people that they go on these dating apps, they are a certain type of person. They are like the people that they are more technologically advanced. They are the people that they, they, they are drawn to these things. So there are specific people that use this app. And some of them, so when you are using these apps, it's like you are excluding, like you are limiting your options. A lot of the people say that. Now, you think you walk into a bar and choose those people and excluding a few hundred billion others? 
This is the most ridiculous issue. I mean, I'm glad you raised it. It seems to be popular right now, but it's ridiculous. I mean, the bottom line is every time you choose to go to this bar as opposed to that bar, you're excluding everybody in that yes. bar and you're including and those you're people in. you're excluding all the people in this Who country, don't go to bars. In the other countries because uh, exactly. you are in the United States. Exactly. So, I mean, we are always excluding people and including people. And you've got a much wider variety on these introducing sites than you would if you walked into a bar or went to a sports event or uh, went to the library, you know. Uh, so the bottom line, I don't think that that's an issue. Um, but uh, it's very interesting. You know, 68% of singles really study the profile, not just the photograph. They study the profile. So 68 68%, 68% they really study the profile. So... Um, they are reading everything that you have. Everything, you know. <laughs> and funny. I mean, I would put at least six pictures on. Uh, and by the way, Tinder is not just a hookup site. I used to talk with the sociologists who work there, and over 80% of people on Tinder really were uh, looking for at least some kind of, of intimate connection. Not just sex, I mean, but a romantic connection. So that I, that I think is a myth. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, I do these studies with Match called Singles in America. And what's interesting right now, particularly your generation, but across the board, um, so I got data from 19, uh, 2010 till 2022 every year. I ask 5,000 singles over 200 questions along with my colleagues at Match and we, we create the questions. And in 2019, uh, right before the pandemic hit, when I asked the question, would you like to meet somebody who wants to marry? 58% of singles said yes. Uh, in 2022, 74% of singles said yes. Wow. They would like to meet somebody who wants to marry. We're all, everybody's always talking about wow. the fact that, that it's a, you are a very dedicated generation. Uh, you're you're not a very sexual generation compared to mine. I mean, you're having your one night stands and your friends with benefits, but not to the degree with with some of the older generations. As a matter of fact, now there's a big piece in the New York Times about singles need to have more sex. In my day, it was all singles need to have less sex. They can't seem to find they, not something to worry about. You guys are going to have sex, and I think sex these days it's almost a sex interview. You know, when I asked the question about have you had sex with somebody before the first date, 34% of singles said yes. What do you mean before the first date? Okay. So they had had a one-night stand with the person. They had a friends with benefits, but they did not go out on an official date That's where funny. they stood in a restaurant or a bar and had something to drink, something and not an official first date. And, you know, older people think that that's pretty weird. But when you think about it, I think what the young are doing, and maybe older people too, are doing what I, I think they're having um, a sex interview. I mean, these days, you don't have to walk the walk of shame if you have sex with somebody. Uh, you Most people know how to handle not getting pregnant and not being um, getting a disease. And so you learn a lot between the sheets. I'm not advocating it, but you learn, you don't not only learn about whether they're a good kisser, et cetera, but you also learn... Are they kind? Are they patient? Uh, do they listen? <laughs> do they try to please? All kinds of things you learn about somebody. So one third of people who go out on a first date 
have already had sex with the person, and now they want to go out on the first date. Now they want to spend the money. Now they're beginning to love the person. So it's interesting that you say that because I think also it's kind of a lot more easier easier to screen the person from before you meet him, like to see his social media profile. You learn a lot about him. And like if you exchange some messages online, then it's like, it happened to me as well sometimes. Like it's a lot more easier the first time to have sex with right. the person because you already know so much information. You already trusted him right. online. And before, I guess before social media, you didn't have the opportunity to learn about him and exchange this stuff. So that's why I think it might be what Oh, sure. Describing. That's why video chatting, That I'm so, you know, what singles are doing right now and the young are leading the way is what I call smart dating. And uh, what they're doing is... Um, they're doing video chatting before the first date. Uh, in 2020, well, 2015, uh, only 6% of singles had done video chatting before the first date. In 2020, 19% had done video chatting before the first date. And in 2022, a few months ago, 25% had done video chatting and 37% of singles uh, uh, were open to it. What's important about that from our studies, it uh, apparently during the video chatting, Excuse me. Um, uh, They're having more meaningful conversations. Uh, They're having more honesty, more transparency, uh, more self-disclosure, and that's men as well as women. Um, They seem to be less interested these days in good looks and much more interested in whether somebody is fully employed, uh, has a career, is educated, you know. So it's more like an interview for a job. (laughs) It's going to be a lifetime job. But, you know, I hope it's not a job. It's so interesting because... I was having a discussion once with my friend, um, Dr. Justin Garcia from the Kinsey Institute. He's a young guy, and we work together a lot. Very smart, very funny, charming guy. And I brought him in to work with me at Match. And everybody at Match thinks that relationships take work. I do not think relationships take work. As far as I'm concerned, if it takes work, you shouldn't be doing it. Now... Some people married a person who's That's changed a lot and then there's children involved and they can't leave and everything and it's taking work. But if a relationship, if, if somebody your age is in a partnership that takes a lot of work, I'd think seriously about it. I think this is when some people ask me, like, what, what, how do you think about friendships? And like, uh, my uh, answer is, if it's effortless, then it's a good friendship. Well done, very well done. I, I, I mean, I mean, I think that we're always compromising, even with friends. But it's a compromise that you want to make, so it's effortless, you know. Um, I, I think a marriage should be that way. I really do, and I think it's possible. You got to pick the right person, but I think it's possible. But to be honest, I have one relation. I'm, my best friend is my high school teacher that did physics for me in uh-huh. high school. And He's the that, guy that you went traveling with? Yes, uh-huh. this guy. So uh, so our relationship, I think, is one of the most beautiful things that I have in my life. And it's effortless. And it's, but I think this is very... Um, it's not normal. It's not. I think I'm very lucky because it never happened to me before. So... I, I, I doubt, I probably consider, I don't know, I'm 22. 
probably once in a lifetime, whatever. Oh, you're going to find other people that wear it's effortless. If you, I mean, my goodness, I certainly hope you do. I've got lots of friends where it's effortless. Last night, that was effortless, and it was a ball, you know? Um, I mean, these are dear friends. So for, for people that don't know, last night we went on a bridge gathering. Yeah, with... we were playing the game of bridge. Yeah. Yes. Um, some of us were. <laughs> yes, you. <laughs> other of us were hanging around. Yeah. Well, I started hanging around, too. <laughs> they were serious players in the other room, but the rest of us were knocking off. So, okay, so uh, you agree with me that this is uh, should be one of the big metrics that you yeah. use effortless in yeah. a relationship. I, I, I'm not in the should business, but um, I certainly appeals to me. I, I don't want to be in partnerships that uh, I got to work. Now, I've got some girlfriends who I do have to say take a little work, <laughs> but, um, but they're terribly interesting. And I sort of get them. I wouldn't want to go traveling with them for a month <laughs> like you did, you know, for a long period of time. But uh but they're worth they're worth a relationship, you know. I can overlook the negative and focus on the positive. So, yeah, you don't you know what um good relationships apparently if you are in a good partnership, you can you you will live 5 to 7 years longer. Okay. Um I mean good partnerships Um, you know, when you get hugs from friends, it drives up the oxytocin system and calms you as you laugh with people, drives up the dopamine system. Good partnerships with a romantic love or with friends? With anything, yes. So can you love a person that is your friend and you are not uh, gay or something? Sure, you can love them but not want to have sex with them. You know, and does yeah. it trigger the same things? You know, I've never been in love with another, with a friend. I love them. I feel deep attachment to them. I feel responsible for them. I wish them well. I want to see them happy. But no, I'm not kissing them. I happen to be I happen to be a heterosexual. So, uh romantic love is focused on one individual. Now, if you're gay, it's and you're a man, it's going to be another man. Uh or woman, whatever. Uh and if you're cisgender, I don't like the term, uh, uh or heterosexual and You know, uh, romantic love is romantic love is focused on one individual. You know, world poetry really explains so much of this. There's a Kabir was a uh, a um, Indian poet from India in the 1800s, and he he wrote once about love, and he said, "The lane of love is narrow. There's room for only one," and that's true when you're madly in love with somebody. There's a pile of others that could be a much better deal for you. I bet you're just focused. That's a main characteristic of romantic love. You just focus on a particular person. And then, as I said, you know, you can list what you don't like about them. Right? You sweep that aside. As Chaucer said, love is blind. And in fact, romantic love is blind. Basic brain regions linked with <clears throat> decision-making and planning reduce activity. <laughs> as is... Dopamine pours over you, giving you the energy, the elation, the focus, the motivation, the craving, um, the obsessive thinking about a particular individual. And you're going to get there. So, wait. I, um, I, I have this idea, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about it. So, uh, I don't know if this is the same about women, but uh, as being a man my experience is that i draw a, a lot of 
interesting satisfaction from my friendship with other men. So I was I was joking one time with uh, uh, my teacher that we should maybe whatever get married together but have kids with other women. people <laughs> and, and 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 kind of this is uh, and I can see that happening like I'm being married with three two three boys and but I'm I I want I love girls in a different way and like I have families with them or whatever so I don't know if but I don't know what do you think about this idea it's well the bottom a, line is the beauty of I think you've struck on something important um the beauty of today is that you can make the kinds of partnerships that you want you know it's not cookie cutter stuff in other words you know 50 years ago 150 years ago 500 years ago people married very young they all married heterosexually um they had one partner for life and that's what you had to do uh pretty much everywhere in the world now no 86 of world cultures permit a man to have more than one wife and a lot of muslim societies still do but um fewer and fewer um but the bottom line is what's nice about today is you can make the kinds of partnerships that you want now for example my husband and i are what i call lat living apart together okay and um so thank you <laughs> a lot of people agree with us um bottom line is uh so i mean as you know i said to him i'm going to marry you but i'm not moving in now he has an uh, his apartment in the bronx it's a big apartment it's got three bedrooms i live right here which is basically two rooms and two or three nights a week um i'm here by myself and i go out with my girlfriends I'm crazy about my girlfriends. I'm just trying to do things with other people. And then by Wednesday night or whatever, I show up and I've got my own room in, in his house. So I can, you know, my computer's there and I can work there and I spend the whole week and then I've got clothes there. But the bottom line is there's some flexibility in this relationship. And the same thing with you. I mean, you've just basically defined a best friend. You've got a best friend. And my man has a best friend too and there's weekends that he wants to go off and be with his best friend and i want him to go off and be with his best friend i don't want to go with them and intrude they're beginning to want me around but that's cool but the bottom line they're is beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that's i guess they figure that i'm easy to get along with um but the bottom line is i mean um i'll see my husband tonight i will not see him tuesday night i won't see him wednesday night and i'll show up on thursday Yes. I probably won't see him Friday night, see him Saturday night, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the beauty of now, you know, yes. that you, we can make the kind of partnerships that we want. But it's very difficult because we have a, diff, a stereotype of movie love. So, uh, for example, I read uh, Einstein's biography and he was living in a different place with his wife. So, uh, like what you are describing, and this is a lot more productive and this is... And so, but we are so conditioned to have this, okay, this is um, love. You get together, you get married, you live in the same house, you have kids and like, but yes, uh, how do we escape from that? And do you think this is an we actual- We just do it. Uh, we do it. Do you think this is an actual <laughs> problem that uh, the movies presented to us? Like, It's and, interesting. And they put uh, different- standards of us and like we we think that walking on on the beach holding hands is yeah. is the actual love but like maybe it's like sitting here and like 
whatever. So what do you think about this idea? Well, I think that uh, I'll just go back to saying that I think it's a, we got heads on top of our shoulders. You got to think about what you want. You know, the movies will tell you one thing. Your parents will tell you another thing. The internet will tell you something else. The books will say what they're saying. And ultimately, the as they say in America, the buck stops here. You decide what you want and and you and you proceed to go and do that and uh i think uh uh i remember a poem once that a friend of mine wrote and this addresses your question directly you know and the quote that i like so much is he said we were lied by our love songs we were we were lied to by our love songs in other words you're suggesting we're being lied to by all of the movies and everything that present this perfect picture and um Uh, gotta do what you're gonna do in life you know you gotta do what works for you that's the only way to do it um um and you know i've studied marriage and divorce for 40 years looked at divorce in over 80 cultures and uh probably in hunting and gathering societies in our hunting and gathering past We probably had several relationships. Uh, in hunting and gathering societies, they tend to have two or three husbands or partners during the course of the, a series. I went and did a video a with Hadza. Yeah, oh, the Hadza. Yeah, have you yeah. been to the, with the Hadza? Yeah, yeah. So have I. <laughs> oh, aren't they wonderful? <laughs> yes. Uh, the most relaxing place on yeah, earth. Yeah, they were relaxed, yes. <laughs> did you go hunting with them? Yes. Oh, I went gathering with them. <laughs> and gathering uh, and like, ga- with the and, women. <laughs> and I went gathering I went gathering with the women and hunting with the men, and, and they were very relaxed. It was very interesting because as an anthropologist, you know, Um, I mean, they are regarded as egalitarian societies because they're not hierarchical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I remember asking uh, the main, it was a young guy, wonderfully attractive, married to a woman, and they seemed to be the running this band. And the guy said to me, I asked him about, is everybody equal? And he looked at me and said, he went from the Hadza language to uh, the, well, the lingua franca, what, what is it? Uh, Uh, and then on to English, you know, whatever. But anyway, it was through interpre- interpreter. Sw- Swahili. Was it Swahili? No, maybe. Uh, uh, but anyway, he said to me, he said, yes, we're all equal, but I'm the best hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that sounds like a hot <laughs> And another thing is, I asked this boy, and isn't that hilarious? <laughs> I, I asked this young boy, I couldn't tell because uh, how old he was. I, I would have guessed around 12 or 14. And um, I asked him through the interpreters, it was Swahili, it must have been the Hadza click language to the Swahili to the English. And I asked this young guy, um, you know, whether he had a girlfriend. And he said, I saw a girl. And when I get older... I'm going to kill a zebra and give her the tail. Isn't that cute? You know, <laughs> this is, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw a girl. <laughs> But uh, he's not ready yet. And, and by now, I'm sure he's been madly in love more than once, probably had more than one wife serially. Um, who knows? But, But anyway. it's it's very interesting because the the girls are choosing the, the boys there. This is uh, kind of, 
You, you, I, I almost everywhere girls choose boys and boys choose girls. You know, I mean, we're a pair binding. You know, ninety-seven percent of mammals do not pair up to rear their young. Zebras don't, elephants don't, uh, etc. They don't form do a partnership to rear their young. For example, elephants. A group of female elephants travel together, and when a female comes into what they call must, must, um, which is estrus, and she um, she will find. Uh, all the males in the neighborhood will smell it and they'll come courting and she'll choose one or maybe more than one and have sex. But after about five days, this uh, <clears throat> desire disappears in her. She goes back to with the, the female group and raises her baby among this female group. Oh, that's interesting. So um, very few animals form a partnership to rear their, their young. Dogs do, coyotes do, all of the wild dogs form pair bonds, um, a little African antelope called the dictic beavers uh, do, but very few, um, uh, some primates do, uh, gibbons uh, do. Chimp our closest relatives wouldn't dream of forming a partnership. A female chimpanzee copulates with everybody. They line up for her. Occasionally they will do what they call going on safari, in which a female will go out with just one male. Wow, you studied <coughs> all the animals. About well, la. look around. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, you have to. <clears throat> Excuse me. 90% of birds form partnerships uh, to rear their young, like a robin or a thrush. You, you mean when they're young, you mean, what do you mean by when so, they're young? So, um, um, songbirds, like a robin, which is a thrush, probably a thrush in uh, Cyprus. I'm not sure in the, what they call the European robin. But it's a little bird that you oh. see in the spring and it's got a red yes. breast and a, it's yes. basically dark. And in the spring, a male and a female form a partnership. Together they build a nest. Oh, now I And together they raise their babies. But at the end of the summer or middle of the summer when the babies fly away, the pair bond breaks uh, up. Okay. It only lasts long enough to raise the babies through infancy. And my hypothesis has been that the reason so many people divorce is that for millions of years, they would form a partnership, fall madly in love, form an attachment, and maybe some of them did it for life because they married the right person. But if they didn't, and they began to argue, after the baby was no longer being nursed, female needs some help while she's nursing a baby, how's she going to protect herself if she's carrying sticks and stones and you know a million years ago so parabons they fell in love let's say a million years ago fell in love formed a partnership raised a single child through infancy about four years if the child uh if it was a bad partnership they could then break up because the child out of infancy could be a five-year-old can be taken care of by the seven-year-old and a ten-year-old and aunts and uncles and other people in the band So for millions of years, it was adaptive to form a partnership with more than one person, have babies with more than one person, because you would then create more genetic variety in your young. Okay. And in times of, of, of bad weather, uh, bad other circumstances, uh, some would live because there's more variety. So leaving in the human animal what I call a dual human reproductive strategy, a tremendous drive to fall in love, form a partnership, and rear our babies as a team. Also, 
a tendency to be adulterous, a t- and a tendency to be restless in a long partnership and go on to be with somebody else. And, you know, I, I mean, I make a lot of speeches all over the world, and, and women and men will come up to me, and I just remember one woman coming up to me and saying, you know, um, I, I was a failure, you know. Uh, I was never good at love. And I said, I said, well, what happened? She said, well, I had three husbands in a row after a while. I said, oh, did you have any children? She said, yeah, I had two children with the first husband and one child with the second. Well, from a Darwinian perspective, she's created more genetic variety in her young. And in terms of survival, those young are more likely to live. So the problem with our modern world is that divorce, we have so much property. Now, in hunting and gathering societies like the Hadza, um, people fell in love, they formed partnerships, they broke up, and they got angry at each other. Um, What's breaking up is hard to do anywhere in the world. But they didn't have houses and cars and dogs and cats and clothes and relatives and country homes and all kinds of stuff. You know, um, you know, the uh, we got a lot of stuff. And so <laughs> breaking up is even harder to do. But emotionally, you know, I put people in the brain scanner who had just been rejected in love. Oh, my God. They were such a mess. Such a mess. A bra- basic brain region linked with addiction becomes activated. You become addictive to addicted to a partner. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me you expert about the future of dating and like how do you see this ChatGPT three artificial intelligence playing out in Yeah. I am extremely positive about the future and it's not just me, I've got a lot of data to show it. So we can do AI, but first I want to tell you the basic worldwide trends. Um first of all, you know, I mentioned we're doing smart dating. Singles have grown up. I call it post-traumatic growth. And uh, the singles have grown up. As I mentioned to you, more, uh, 74% of singles in America today would like to meet somebody who wants to marry. So they're now much more interested in settling down. They're doing it this very slow love all through their 20s. They're doing this pre-commitment. They're getting to know themselves. They're trying people out. They're getting rid of people. So by the time they do marry... And all the data shows that the later you wed, the more likely you are to remain together. And what's going to happen with your generation is you're going to have so many partners uh, in your 20s. And then... That's why you laid it a lot. That's why you waited a long time to do it in your Well, I had uh, three (laughs) other men. You knew that. (laughs) Well, I had three other men that I was madly in love with. And two of them, one of them I lived with for five years, then left him. Then I, another one I lived with for 15 years and ended up leaving them. And then one I lived with for 18 years and then lived with, and, you know, and then left. Um, but this one I'm never leaving. If I'd met this one when I was in my 20s, I would have stuck with him. But anyway, the bottom line, so I've had, I've certainly had romances um, and opportunities to marry. But the bottom line is you guys are doing what they call, I call smart dating. And another example, not only are you looking for somebody who wants to settle down, But you are using the internet, and um, as it turns out, 
people who meet on the internet as opposed to off the internet, and I did this study myself in 5,000 people. Oh, wow. People who, st- who meet on the internet as opposed to off the internet are more likely to be um, fully employed, more likely to be higher educated, and more likely to be looking for a long-term committed relationship and less likely to divorce. So that's one of the things you guys are doing. You spend a long time looking. You're getting to know yourself. You're meeting on the internet where the people are more likely to want to settle down. Um, so meeting the internet gives uh, you a better partner on average. Um, that's what the data show. Crazy. Is that, you know, now don't forget, all Crazy. they are is introducing sites. You know, that's all they are. And then or it can person. be also Instagram or so many other things on the internet, right? Or you're talking about the mating apps, the introducing apps. Well, uh, uh, um, uh, on app, yes, introducing apps okay. or, or, or dating apps. Okay. People who meet, uh, the study that I did was people uh, who met on a dating app. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Most people don't do dating. Maybe uh, through uh, Facebook and and Snapchat and uh, Instagram and all those things. They, they do much more of their dating uh, on dating sites. Uh, on dating sites is where they're ba- basically doing it. Um, so that's, that's, I think that uh, all that suggests that we're going to, I think we're going to move towards a, a, a time of relative family stability because you guys are, are grown, you've grown up. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to marry the next idiot that comes along, kid. You're, you're going to take a good hard look. You're going to try people out. Eventually, you're going to fall madly in love. You're going to write Helen Fisher and explain why you now know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then you'll either marry this person or you'll create a long-term partnership without marrying. Maybe have one or two children. Uh, who knows whether you'll settle down for life or whether you'll move on to something else. But we're not... There's a lot of things to worry about on this planet, and this is not one of them. You so know, romantic it's promising. Yeah, it looks oh, yeah. promising. You know, listen, romantic love is primordial. It's adaptable, and it's eternal. We will always love. The brain is built for it. You know, we will always love. We will always have some reservations. You know, we'll always be. Um, but the bottom line is you got to pick the right person. And that's what I'm studying right now is, is how do you pick the, you know, what what goes into picking the right person? Oh, please teach me. <laughs> <laughs> teach the war because this is the same thing with employees. Like, yeah. Yes, the same thing with employers. Well said. Well said. If you make the right decision, you're fucked. Yeah. Because that will create a lot more problems in the organization and all this stuff. So doing the right decision, there. So how do you do the right decision? Okay. So this is what match originally um, uh, came to me. And then we can go to AI. Oh yes, we got to do AI. Because I'm not at all threatened by AI. Everybody else is terrified of AI, but Helen Fisher isn't for very obvious, I think, reasons. But never mind. Why do you fall in love with one person rather than another? This is what Matt. I was sitting right here. The phone rang two days before Christmas in 2005, picked it up, and somebody said, would you like to meet with the CEO and top brass from Match.com? I said, oh, sure, of course. (laughs) And so two days after Christmas, I went down to Canal Street in Manhattan in this big room. They all filed in, 
I didn't, couldn't really figure it out. But anyway, finally, in the middle of the morning, the CEO asked me, why do, you fall, why do you fall in love with one person rather than another? That launched me on what has been, um, what will be my next book, what has already been a couple of my f- six books. Anyway, bottom line is there's all kinds of cultural reasons. We tend to fall in love with somebody from the same socioeconomic class, same degree of intelligence, good looks, education, um, same social and religious values, uh, same reproductive goals, same economic goals. Your childhood always plays a role. But you can walk into a room and everybody's from your background, same level of intelligence and good looks, and you don't fall in love with all of them. So that led me to think, could basic biology drive you towards one person rather than another. Basic biology, what do you mean? Okay. So I started to look in the brain for any trait linked with any biological brain system. Now, for example, the brain is full of systems. Most of them keep the eyes blinking and the heart beating. They got nothing to do with personality. But I ended up finding that there are four brain systems that each one of them is linked with a constellation, a suite a group of personality traits. So, and I'm going to talk about you. But anyway, the bottom line is the dopamine system, the serotonin system, the testosterone system, and the estrogen system. So if you are very expressive of the traits in the dopamine system, you tend to be risk-taking, novelty-seeking, mentally flexible, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic person. That's you. And that's also me. We're both very expressive of the traits in the dopamine system. Um, People who are very expressive of the traits in the serotonin, and I call them explorers. I just made up the term. And I created a questionnaire uh, to see to what degree you express the traits in all four of these brain systems. Over 15 million people have now taken this questionnaire. Wow. That's a lot of people. (laughs) In 40 countries. 15 times of my country's population. (laughs) (laughs) That's very cool. That's a lovely way to think of it. They probably have taken it in Cyprus. You can just take it on the internet. I mean, just go to my website, theanatomyoflove.com. But anyway, the bottom line is... Link in the description. Yeah, so... Um, if you're very expressive of the traits in the serotonin system, I call these people builders. Not a great term, but I'm stuck with it because 15 million people have taken this questionnaire. Builders. Uh, and the builders. other one explorers. was explorers. Yeah. And uh, they tend to be um, traditional, conventional, follow rules, respect authority, cautious, not scared, but cautious, detail-oriented, not theoretical, Um um and and um um often religious there's a gene in the serotonin system linked with religiosity um so these people are very traditional uh that's the second group high testosterone i call them directors analytical logical direct decisive tough-minded good at what scientists call rule-based systems everything from math engineering computers um mechanics Music is very structural. I call them directors. And the fourth are people who are very high estrogen. I call them negotiators. Uh, They see the big picture. They think long-term. They're holistic, synthetic thinkers. They think way down the road. They're imaginative. They're very intuitive. They got good, very good people skills, social skills. They're good at reading posture, gesture, tone of voice. They tend to be compassionate, empathetic. Um, And so I did a study of... 40,000 singles 
and I watched on the a date, two dating sites, chemistry.com, which is part of Match, and Match.com. Well, I watched who just was naturally drawn to whom. Explorers go for explorers, and that's what you're going to do. Okay. You're not going to have any patience with somebody who doesn't want to go traveling with you. It's my guess. that. But anyway, explorers go for explorers. A person who's curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic, wants a partner like themselves. And all <clears throat> the other names that you said, they tend so, to go for the... Serotonin people, uh, the builders, traditional, conventional, follow the rules, respect authority, they also go for somebody like themselves. And that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? It's from a Darwinian perspective what happens. You know, I'm, okay. not, in the, I'm not in the good, bad business. <laughs> But um, um, the high testosterone director, analytical, logical, direct, decisive, skeptical, goes for high estrogen, um, compassionate, empathetic, people skills, verticals, and estrogen goes for testosterone. So me. My husband and I are both very high dopamine. He's traveled all over the world as a journalist, and I've been all over the world, and we both write books, et cetera, and we both we go all the time to places. My the next trip, I hope we go after going to Doha, is the Amazon. Can't wait to go. Oh. Uh, have you been to the Amazon? No. Yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> um, and so we're both high dopamine. That really works. Uh, I mean... Works for what? It, Well, we're madly in love with each other. Okay. And it's also a very <laughs> sexual relationship. Uh, we're constantly exploring together. Uh, so it works nicely. He's very high testosterone, and I'm very high estrogen. That also works very nicely. Um, uh, you know, he's much more decisive than I am. Uh, I see the broader picture, although he's pretty good at that, too. It, it works very nicely, so... Testosterone does go for estrogen and estrogen. So in those ways, it's a natural pattern. He's higher on serotonin than I am. He's more likely to follow the so rules. So you took the tests. Oh, yes. I, you can, I've, I've been taking the test. Sure. I'd, I'd like it if you took the test, which is great. Yes. Um, but... Uh, um, so you, it's a good idea to put your partner to take some would kind be great. of a test. Take that test. So you... Un- So you understand a lot yeah. more traits about him. So yeah. you can be. So this and if is, you don't want to take, if they don't want to take the test, or you don't want to ask, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to be self-serving here, but I wrote a whole book on it called "Why Him, Why Her," and it, you, I, you, I, I can train you to look for. This is my next book, actually. You know, um, train you to. I can walk into a room and and know who's high. I know you're high dopamine. I mean, I would guess. That you're higher testosterone than estrogen, but I don't know. You might be quite high on both. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Are you good I, at math? I can take the test. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not good at math, but okay. I, I can see the beauty in math. Ah, uh, you can see the beauty in math. That's a way to, wonderful way to say it. It's a great way to say it. Um, Are you, uh, well, I don't know. You'll have to take the test. Yes, but, uh, I will send you the results. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but my husband's higher on serotonin. So anyway, the dopamine and dopamine works perfectly. We're both explorers. But the, the initial uh, question was, how do I choose the right partner? Right. So, so, you gotta, so it so, would be adaptive to figure out. I mean, the first thing that I do about somebody is what I ask them, what do you do in your spare time? 
I mean, if they like to knit and and spend their time with their grandmother, uh, you know, and, and don't want to ever travel out, outside the country, uh, my guess is that girl's not going to be for you. I mean, my guess is, I don't know if I would imagine you want somebody to go with you and explore the world. I mean, I certainly do. I don't feel like doing it alone. Uh, and I want somebody who wants to go instead of dragging them along. So, I mean, you know, I like somebody who's very curious, very creative, very spontaneous, very energetic, and like me. Um, and I think you will have that too. So it's some sm- you can have some smart interview, first interview, first uh, appearance uh, when you meet him, some questions so you can identify what type yeah. of person they are. So right. you, you ask deep questions like what you're saying, what you do on this uh, spare time. Your, on your spare time, what are other ways that you can learn? Well, it'd be and, nice to know how- if they're religious um, or spiritual uh, or an atheist. Uh, it would be nice to know where they've traveled to, what they read, the music that they like, uh, what they eat, about exercise, all kinds of basic things. Or if you sakes, have you the know? opportunity <laughs> to ask them, can I see your YouTube and you scroll down to their YouTube and then you see all the videos that they watch and you get so good of a sense of who they are. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I can tell more than about a person right. when I watch their uh, right. YouTube algorithm uh, right. than <laughs> I can spend like one year with them. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. You might want to go to bed with them too. <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, so my husband's a little higher on serotonin than me. And uh, so he's more likely to follow the rules. I mean, I follow the rules if I have to follow the rules, but I don't follow the rules just because it's a rule. So one night we were going to the movies and I said to him, I said, sweetheart, um, do you have any water in your backpack? And he said, yeah. I said, oh, great. We can drink it in the movie house. And he said, no, we can't. You can't bring food or drink into a movie house. You've got to buy it at the concession stand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, says I. So he's more likely to follow the rules. But just like this, but, but I don't follow the rules, but I ad- admire him for, I, I would still myself bring the water into the movie house and not buy it at the concession stand, but I'm happy to do it with him you know um and i think he's going to be a great partner because he's going to follow some of the rules of a marriage (laughs) you know (laughs) which will work and i will follow them too because i'm in love with them but uh but the bottom line is sure if you could get the person to take my test i I don't know read the book why him why her or go to my website uh, theanatomyoflove.com and take the test there um, and it does give some description of, of the people, but what do you think? Do you think you're more high estrogen or more high? Now, there's all kinds of very manly men who are high estrogen. I think Obama was high estrogen. I think uh, Bill Clinton is high estrogen. I think Hillary Clinton is high testosterone. Uh, I think Indira Gandhi was high testosterone. I think, uh, you know, there's some women who are high testosterone, but they're not gay. Uh, um, they just are good at math and engineering and computers and music, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I don't know because you're very personable and that's the estrogen. Uh, you're very verbally skilled. Uh, so you might, I don't know, you got to take the test. 
Not gonna guess. Yeah. Yes, I will. But I know you're high dopamine. <laughs> Anybody who goes through Europe without a, without a nickel in their pocket is definitely high dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I have uh, one theory that the future of dating is wild because if we can have an artificial intelligence that can detect who in the whole planet is more compatible with you. Never gonna happen. Tell me Never, about it. ever, ever, ever going to happen. Tell me about the it. The brain is too complicated. Uh, I mean, AI can has no idea the intricacies of somebody's childhood. No idea. They're not gonna be able to collect that data even. Um, yeah, that's what you say, that's what others say too, but I'm telling you, I mean, uh, it's not even gonna know how to ask the questions to collect the amount of data, um, experiences that a human being has in their childhood to put into the mix. Um, the computer can ask a good deal of questions like using my questionnaire. Uh, it can get rid of a whole lot of people. I mean, all you got to do is take my questionnaire and right off the bat, you know that the high serotonin, very traditional kind of person is not going to be something that's probably going to appeal to you. Um, so they get, might get a little bit farther. It's very complicated. Romantic love is very, very complicated. Okay. And AI, I don't think is, I mean, ever going to really be able to collect enough data. And then don't forget, People have different times when they're ready to fall in love, you know, uh, yes. in life. And I'm I don't definitely think it, not ready to No, you're definitely love. not ready, and nor should you be. You know, uh, you got other things to do right now. It'd be nice if you had a wonderfully mad love affair with somebody who did not want to marry you, but they probably will. You'll probably break a few hearts, and maybe a few heart people will break yours. You know, as I said, you know, nobody gets out of love alive. We all have, you know... The ones that got away. <laughs> I'm looking for, it never happened for a person to break my heart. Uh -huh, so I'm yet. looking forward to that because that would be a hell of an experience. <laughs> it's a really bad one. Uh, the only person that broke my heart um, was my husband. About um, this one? Or? Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he, um, yeah he, he broke up with me. And I, I sat at the edge of my bed and cried. No, this was long, long ago. We'd been going out for maybe six months. I wasn't mad at him. I understood why. He was a single father. His son was still in high school. He was dealing with a horrible divorce. And he just said to me, I just can't handle anymore. So I, you know, I played music to kill yourself by and, <laughs> and sat at the edge of my bed and cried. And about six weeks later, he wrote me a note and said, I think I made a big mistake. Um, and I did wait a couple of weeks. And then I said, well, would you like to come over? Re resuming the friends with benefits. <laughs> wasn't really friends with benefits because every time the son was out for the weekend, uh, I would spend the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. But the day that the his son went to college, uh, uh, we we started to live together. So anyway, the bottom line is I, I hope you don't experience that it's no, a very it's, very very painful no, very painful this is this is i think the meaning of, of life is experiencing all the emotions so right i really want to experience this well you're going to because that's where your, your your brain is you know i mean i don't know 
uh, I've um, only met a couple people. That's not true. Who, who, who's never gotten dumped? Um, well, you're gonna have to report in, kid. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I disagree with you, okay. Mrs. Helen. I think, like I told you, when you have an algorithm of YouTube and like it knows a lot of stuff about you, like what you like, what do you watch, what you watch educational videos, you watch all this stuff, and like that's only YouTube. But when you combine all this data, that do they have a sense of humor? Do they have your sense of humor? When they were as a small child, did their did their cousin try to feel the mop so that they suddenly feel scared of this or that? Are you going to get all of the data from their therapist? Did they lie about this or that? I disagree, and we'll stick with it. Well, it might like it will find definitely ways. Those are very. I think good you can arguments. put people. I think you can put people in the right job because you know. Well, I mean, do they have the they... good sense of humor? Though? I know. Well, 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 what about the fact that you they you get the perfect girl? She reads all the same stuff. Uh, she loves all the same music. She loves to travel around the world. You know, she had the same upbringing. She's you know doesn't want to have children. Whatever it is, and you go to kiss her. And it's the kiss of death. Now, the algorithm is not going to say whether she's a dis hard kisser or him, too. In other words, are, are, are they kind in bed? Um, you know, do they, how do they feel about pets? Well, you could figure out about pets. But the bottom line is it's very sophisticated. The human brain okay. was built. So you are saying that it's a lot more complicated than I think it is. Yes, I do. Okay. But if if we, if, for example, we have a person uh, a voice recording the conversation that we have, and then we cross correct over time the the dates and it's like we say, oh that was bad that we connected these two people, so that's let's adjust right. the let's adjust uh -huh. it over time. I think it can get the very good. The only good algorithm and is the human brain. It's the only one. It's what's on top of your shoulders as you walk down the street as the finest algorithm that all of humanity has ever developed to choose love. Well, okay. That's interesting. But you think it's the same, with friends the same? You cannot have the application or the matching. Oh, I think it's pretty easy to pick friends to, to, to introduce people who are going to be friends. Sure. Well, you're not going to have babies with your friends. You're going to be in bed every night with your friends. You're not going to be arguing over who does the dishes me. with the friends. Yeah, for sure. I think these AI things could introduce you to all kinds of people who would be friends. I think it can really help uh, in job placement. Um, I think it can help in um, predicting longevity of a friendship. But I do not think that we can give you the perfect person. I think we can give you an array of people and we can sort of get rid of what's not gonna work. And I think we can give you an array of people, but in that array of people, maybe there's five, maybe there's 20. It's only your human brain. You, you're, there's too much experience from childhood. You know, uh, I mean, were you bullied as a kid? Uh, are you scared of getting fat? Uh, do you? It, it, the, that the, those are obvious ones. The intricacies. Now, for example, my mother <clears throat> was a very difficult woman, and uh, 
I learned as a small child. Your to, mother was my mother, a difficult woman. So I learned as a child to placate. Do you know that term, placate? No. Uh, to be sweet, do anything to keep the peace. Okay. Is placate anything? Anything to do, keep the peace. Is the algorithm going to pick up that tendency of Helen Fisher's to placate? I don't think so. But if 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 the algorithm heard all the conversations that you ever had, mm-hmm. and it, it will. And what are you going to put a mic on every single person no, for the rest of their life from it, the moment they come out of the re- womb? I think it what about re- in the womb? <laughs> I I have a I have an identical twin sister. It was hot in that place. I came out and we both came out exhausted. I mean, when I re-experienced my birth, everybody else in America thinks it's though the womb is this beautiful place. Not for me. And I still have claustrophobia. Do you now, remember? Because <laughs> um I um It was very bizarre. It was a. It was one of these weekend things of get to know yourself that my older sister wanted us to do, and and at one point everybody actually did sort of re re experience their birth, and everybody else was crying about oh they're coming out of that, that out of that nice comfortable warm place and into the cold world. And I looked around and everybody was crying except me. And I think I kept saying thank God I'm out of there. I mean thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, is that going to be recorded in an AI? Has it been with me all of my life? Okay, so uh, do, am I claustrophobic in in elevators? Is it because of? Uh, I mean, you could know that I was claustrophobic in an elevator, but would you know why? Would an algorithm know why? I don't think so. So your sin is very chaotic. So it's, it, it's a system. It is so complicated. No, it's knowable. If you were to know everything, I just don't think AI is going to collect. What happens uh, as you're feeling as you're going out of the womb? I don't think it's going to collect the what happened in the first grade when you made a mistake, and what, I don't think it's going to collect all these billions of data points that make a person who they really are, and then what they really want. I just don't think so. But I do think you can narrow the playing field. You can clearly say, "Well, I mean, he's 22. He doesn't want to meet a woman who's 90. That's for sure." You're thin. You don't probably want somebody of a different body type. Um, you probably don't want somebody who's uneducated. I don't know. I would think not. Um, you probably don't. Da 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 da. There's all kinds of things that we could get rid of, you know, um, uh, and, and we could give you an array of people who are high dopamine explorers who want to see the world, um, who have your sense of humor. It's hard to measure sense of humor. It's very difficult. All these books on on personality. It's very hard to measure sense of humor. It, it just even the questions of asking people to see what they say. Now you can you can record every joke they make, yeah, and think, oh wow, this guy's got bathroom humor, and oh this guy is really witty, and that person is sarcastic, uh, and this person is da 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 da. Yes, I mean I've studied humor, and uh, wit is what most people are looking for. Grown-ups want somebody who's witty. Means. Um. Sort of clever, unexpected things is witty. Um, clever, unexpected things yeah. is for, for jokes, you mean? Jokes. Well, you know, not the joke of did you hear the one about, you know, witty comments. Witty comments. So uh, um, we spoke, uh, because I'm a man, I am curious to see if there is any difference in the conversation from a female perspective 
going in this like this love thing do is that completely the same thing for the two Oh. oh, wonderful question. Uh, men uh, fall in love faster than women, that men fall in love more often than women. When a man meets a woman, he wants to introduce her to friends and family sooner. Men want to move in sooner. Men have more intimate conversations with their partners than women do because women have their really intimate conversations with their girlfriends. Oh my God, that was so much information very fast. <laughs> <laughs> and men are two and a half times more likely to kill themselves when a relationship is over. Should I say it again? <laughs> so the bottom line is, um, I do think that men and women are often looking for some different things. I mean, it's well known in anthropology that um, men, uh, it, it's important for men to have a, a good figure. And signs of youth. A good figure. What a good that? Uh, body shape. Okay. And men. and women are more inclined than men to want a partner who uh, makes enough money. And I think that both of those things are evolutionary strategies. For millions of years on the grasslands of Africa, a man needed a woman who was healthy and young and could could and vibrant and could bear him healthy babies. And to this day, men still want uh, signs of youth uh, and yes, beauty. Yes, that's why we see a lot of billionaires that they're 60 years that's old right. going with 20-year-old guys. Right. And what is the 20-year-old like? She's got money. He's got class. He's got resources. And for millions of years, women raising very helpless babies. I mean, you know, for many years, an infant, she was carrying a equivalent of a 20-pound bowling ball in her arm that, that squawked and attracted attention from lions. So she needed a partner who could help protect and provide, at least while the child was very young, and women to this day. What's interesting about it is right now, the most recent study I did in 2022, uh, which is only a few months ago, um, men are just as interested now as women, in having a partner who makes enough money, uh, who has a successful career, and who is just as educated. So it's very interesting. As women's roles in society have expanded, men's roles have expanded too, you know. And uh, actually, in many respects, we're moving forward to the kinds of partnerships we had a million years ago. A million years ago, women commuted to work to gather their fruits and vegetables. They came home with much of the over 50% of the evening meal, you know, oh, among the Hadza. That's interesting. Uh, um, uh, uh, women were regarded as just as economically, socially, and sexually um, uh, responsible as men. And uh, we're moving forward to that. You know, we settled down on the farm. Women's, men's roles became much more important, moving the trees, moving the rocks, plowing the land, bringing the produce off to local markets, coming home with the equivalent of money. Women's roles was having lots of babies to pick the vegetables, etc. Women's place was in the home. And we saw the rise of all these beliefs about what a man is and what a woman is. Uh, that, you know, men were, uh, women were not good at business. Uh, a woman's place is in the home. A woman needs to be a virgin until marriage. Uh, till death do us part, because on the farm, where are you going to go? Are you going to take half of the wheat field and move it out of town? And you're stuck. Um, but anyway, after um, World War One, women have started moving back into the job market. Uh, 
And we're seeing the rise now of the double income family, both the man and the woman working, um, um, raising their babies as a team. There's more men who work at home now and et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, the bottom line is we're moving forward to the kinds of partnerships we had a million years ago. Double income family, the rise of women. And that's exciting. Women are better educated than they've ever been. It's great for men, you know, that they have a partner who can keep up with them. So let, let me rephrase what you said because I, I, I don't, I want to under, really understand. So you said that men look for women that they are younger, that they are, look, they are what, um, um, healthy. healthy, signs of health and fertility, clear skin, bright eyes, puffy lips, high estrogen kind of women who will bear them healthy babies. Now, a 60-year-old might not want a 22-year-old. He might want a 50-year-old, but he'd rather have a 50-year-old who's not all wrinkly than if, you know, and, and he might, he's going to want a 50-year-old who's energetic and, uh, you know, uh, looks healthy, et cetera, et cetera. But bottom line is over the course of millions of years was adaptive for men to fall in love with women who could bear them healthy babies. And that's young, nubile, energetic, uh, clear skin, bright eyes, uh, women. And for millions of years, it was adaptive for women to fall in love with a partner who can help her raise those babies, the best hunter. And that's exactly what you saw on the Hadza. I don't know when you were there, but when I was there, the couple that seemed to run the joint, um, they were both very young. He was handsome. She was good looking. Um, they were, they sort of led the, led the group. Now, there were all kinds of older women. And, you know, when you went gathering with them, you saw them digging tubers and throwing tubers to older people. Uh, who were sitting a little peripherally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, 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 those yeah. older people may have been wise ones yeah. or, you know, um, their aunt or their mother or somebody who they are responsible for. So there's a real web of relationships in a hunting-gathering group. Um, and that we don't really have today. Uh, and in fact, you know, what you saw last night at the bridge tables was what I call an urban clan. Now, my identical twin sister lives in France. My older oh. sister lives in Germany. My brother, who's died, used to live in the Midwest in, in America. My parents have died. And so what did I do? I built a new family in New York. Now, they're not blood relatives, but you could see all of us last night being very relaxed in in what we were doing, helping each other get a drink or whatever, and listening carefully and and supporting each other um you know um by laughing at each other's jokes etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know the human animal has a drive to build family and we are doing it very differently these days because fa our natal family uh, our blood family is so often uh, spread out i don't know about cyprus um but i would imagine even in cyprus uh, an awful lot of the children will go to europe for uh, college and then settle down in another country. So I'm very curious to hear about your career a bit. Like now you said you are 77? 70, 77. 77. So I'm curious to hear like 
how how it evolved uh, you started writing books what was your main sources of income through life and like study a bit your career well uh, you know i got my phd in boulder colorado in physical anthropology which is human evolution um but i was the last person in, in university of colorado to that had to take a uh, get an MA in all four fields. There's four major fields of, of anthropology. Uh, archaeology, which is cultures of the past. Cultural anthropology, which is cultures around the world today. Physical anthropology, which is human evolution and also the primates and genetics, etc. That's what I got. And the fourth is linguistics, the evolution of languages and languages around the world. So I had to get an MA in all four of these basic aspects of anthropology. These days, you don't have to do it anymore. I think that's a mistake. Um, and anyway, so I got the PhD in, in biological anthropology or physical, whatever you want to call it. I wrote my PhD How dissertation. How much time it took you? Like seven years. Seven years. Do you, do you care that that light just went out? No, we don't care. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so... I was asking you about So the, anyway, I came uh, to New York. I, d I, d I never wanted to be a professor. I never wanted to teach. I have taught. I taught at Rutgers for three years. I've taught other places, but I never looked for an academic job. I wanted to reach a wider audience, and I wanted to study. And How old you were you when you came to New York? 25, 26. And you got a job? Yeah. I got a job at the Reader's Digest General Books. And, and what did you do there? I was a uh, researcher. And uh, I did a book called America's Fascinating Indian Heritage. And I studied all about the Indian groups, the uh, Native American groups. And uh, it was a big coffee table spectacular. But after three years, I, I wanted to go off and write my own books. So you started writing books when you were oh, 30? 27, 27, 27. And did that... Uh, the first book came out when I was 35. Okay. Oh, so uh, it took you seven years. To, oh, yeah. To oh, my write. books take a long time because they're real books. They're readable. They're real books. But, um, and then, uh, well, let's see, I was 35. So that was in the... My, then, and I kept writing books. And no, I was very poor. I was very poor. I was very poor until I was 51. My great ambition in life was to have a bedroom by the time I was 50. <laughs> Didn't happen. <laughs> a little four-story walk up. I had wonderful boyfriends, but, you know, they didn't support me. Uh, um, so you were... You you were not making enough money with your books and all the stuff that you were making. Uh, in 1992, um, I came out with the book Anatomy of Love, and that became a classic. And my mother also died and left me some money. And Which one was more money, the book or your mother's money? The book. And I bought this apartment. Oh. I bought this. I finally got it. By at age 51, I got a bedroom a bedroom and this is this is it this is it and then there's a the bedroom and um, and i guess you're very excited i was thrilled <laughs> <laughs> i'm absolutely thrilled and uh, since then uh, um i make my living uh, so you with the books uh like you got a publisher oh uh, yes of course major publishers and yeah. uh 
Uh, so you make royalties on the books? Sometimes. It's, sometimes the it's a big advance and you don't make any royalties because um, you have to earn out the money that you already got. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then... Uh, but uh, I've really made my uh, living. Well, the books are are very important to me. Uh, they're my like children. Like your child. They're my children. <laughs> um, but uh, public speaking is what I do. I talk all over the world. I've given probably, well, certainly a thousand speeches. Oh, that's a lot of yeah. speeches. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I'm going to go to Doha, uh, Qatar, in about three weeks, and make another, and then I'll go to Mexico and. Make a speech there. And so they book you because they see they book all me. the portfolio. Yeah. How much you charge? Are you? I never say. Oh, you never say. No, okay. Never say. <laughs> it, it 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 tends. There's some things that I believe so strongly, and they don't have any money, and I do very for very little. And there's other things in the business community, and they're used to paying more. Uh, and I'm pretty much of a. I'm pretty bad at negotiating this, so I have other people do that. Oh, good. But um, so you are you have a team of people that they help no, you? No, um, I, I have a I have a, I have a I have a lecture agent. I had I've had a lecture agent for since my thirties. Yeah, I oh. make speeches around the world. Yeah, the one in Doha is going to be on. Um, well, you mentioned that a lot of times, so yeah, you're very excited next. about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, who's ever been to Doha? For God's sakes, I I've been to. Bahrain. I've been to Iran. I've been to Saudi Arabia. She traveled um, 112 countries, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's one of the best achievements a human can uh, you, do. I, I'm so glad that you <laughs> like it. I, I'm proud of it, but it's only because I was going out with a guy who, I was going out with a guy who wanted to see every country a in the world. A boyfriend. A boyfriend. Oh, oh yeah. And so all I had to do was get on the plane. So all I had to do was get on the plane. And he was paying for everything. everything. Oh. And I was madly in love with him too. <laughs> it was so lucky. It was just I'm, so lucky. It's so beautiful. You speak about like, I was madly in love with you. You, <laughs> speak so, you have so highly, or you speak so highly of love. So yeah. Well, I mean, we all suffer. We all suffer. We all suffer. But um, I'm not suffering now. No. You met my husband last night. Did you uh, have any chance to talk to him? Did I? Yeah, he was playing bridge with uh, Chris Anderson. Oh, it was the guy about willpower. Yes, and uh, yeah, yeah. You actually, you should talk to him because uh, his most recent book is uh, "The Power of Bad," and uh, it's a it. And he talks about the crisis, crisis. The fact that, well, first of all, uh, we all always remember the bad, and many of the solutions that we we have. Um, Make the, make it worse. Uh, he he's well. He he wrote. Um, he was a staff writer at the New York Times for twenty one years, and now he writes for a lot of other publications and he writes books. And he has an incredibly uh, uh, factual grip on on the pandemic and the problems that it's caused and people's responses to it. And uh, he's uh, he's uh, well. If you talk to him. Yes, definitely. I put it here that you are going to help me talk with him. Absolutely. <laughs> no problem. I'd be happy to have you talk with him. I don't know how long you're... Well, we can do this off the air. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. Going to <laughs> figure this out. Like, so uh, So I, anyway, so I, I've made my living um, writing books. And I generally sit exactly where you're sitting. 
and this table is full of stuff. And I wrote a lot of books at that uh, desk. Uh, and finally, I abandoned it. I I was done with that desk, and so I went to this desk. Because you spend a lot of time oh, on that desk, ten hours a day. And <laughs> writing books is is enormously time consuming. Why? Because they're real books. I mean, I've had to research what goes on in the brain. I uh, I've, I've I've read every book in here. Uh, oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> And not, there is I mean, a lot more than you don't see, guys, in this background. So just to well, you got to, you know, if you're going to talk about evolution or something. I mean, when you think about romantic love and attachment, I mean, this is so basic to humanity. You, you got to know what you're doing. And I'm not one of these people who writes, you know, ten ways to fuck your lover. I, you know, that's nice. It's okay, but I need to know the whole evolution of of everything. I mean, in my, my book, Anatomy of Love, I start 21 million years ago, and I talk about the 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 way the um, uh, uh, water patterns sweep around the world. Um, you know, Africa used to not be connected to Eurasia, and the water swept uh, through what is today the Mediterranean, and then down either through the Red Sea or I'm not sure where I can't remember now, but um, um, warming the world and our ancestors were tiny little primates in the trees of africa and it was warm then african place started to move forward and crashed into uh, uh eurasia and the thermometer the the heater of the world um stopped um because there were no longer these flowing warm currents going into the indian ocean and all the way around the land in africa began to dry up Um, somebody, the trees began to disappear. I'm so curious to see how this is correlated with love. <laughs> <laughs> And by uh, 4.4 million years ago, our ancestors were forced down to the ground and uh, they had to wander through very dangerous open grasslands to get to another group of trees. How could a woman, female, and chimpanzees carry their baby on their back? Uh, they had to begin to stand up on two feet instead of four to to collect uh, food and, and carry, um, you know, sticks and stones to protect themselves? How could a female carry the equivalent of a 20-pound bowling ball in one arm and sticks and stones in the other and protect herself? She began to need a partner to help her rear her young. How could a male have collected a whole harem of females and protected them from other males, if not lions and tigers? No tigers in Africa. Um, uh, and so we evolved this brain circuitry to fall in love with a particular individual, form a partnership, and rear our babies as a team. So, you know, I remember wow. all of the of the geology. Wow. I had to study geology, and it was all in German. And I had to get people to translate various academic articles from the Museum of Natural History. It took me, I remember one article, it took me three weeks to read the article. But you'll see various chapters in my book about, I mean, I'll start in, you know, um, Africa was green, green, green. I can't remember the whole thing. And, you know, I mean, I know what kind of nuts they were eating, what kind of berries they were eating, what kind of other animals were in the forest so that they needed to protect themselves. In other words, love is a complicated topic. It's much more than 10 ways to fuck your lover. <laughs> so uh, because you learn so much, How do I learn faster? You read all these books. Like, what are some ways that you found that you can learn faster? Because I think this you is the can't old learn, I can't learn faster. 
John, my husband, learns faster. I'm, I'm a slow reader. Uh, by the way, I didn't get into college, and I didn't get into graduate school because I was such a slow reader. But I remember what I read. And uh, I remember learning, trying to learn about the brain. I didn't, no, nobody taught me about the brain in graduate school. Um, and so I remember sitting on my bed for hours at night with like seven books around, trying to figure out these brain systems. And the problem with anatomy and physiology is that one system will have a lot of different names. And if you don't have a teacher, you don't, you're, you, you, it takes you a long time. So... There is no way, uh, for example, talking with clever people or discussing the stuff that you read on the book. That helps. Like everything uh, helps. Tell me what, like, how do I learn faster? How we read do? more, go to more speeches where people are talking, read a lot of different kinds of magazines that you trust, um, listen to other influencers like you that you trust, that you think they're, you know, uh, go all over the world. And talk to people, which is what you do. Um, uh, I always bring something to read. When I am on a plane for 12 hours, I mean, I bring enough to read for a month. <laughs> I always have something to read. And uh, it, it collects. I'm 77. It begins to collect. <laughs> <laughs> so for that last question, what is your advice for people about love stick with it we're built to love as i've said you know it's primordial it's adaptable it's eternal romantic love and feelings of attachment are going to be around as long as we survive as a species love is not dead courtship is not ruined um we are at a very very good time in human evolution Women are finally back in the job market, making them much more interesting. We can build the kinds of life that we have, that we want. You guys, the young, have a lot of time. You don't have to have babies at age 21. You don't have to marry at age 22. You got a lot of time to put yourselves together to discover what you really want and then go out after it in a sensible way. It's a wonderful time for love. Helen Fisher, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I like you too. <laughs> Bye-bye, guys. Thank you for watching.